Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and with me are Devinder Hardwar and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. It's November 23rd, and we are recording this in the evening, uh, mere hours after it was announced that uh, apparently the orderly transition of the presidency can begin. We'll see whether or not that lasts. Things tend to change on a day-by-day basis over here Just in the Just a bit States. of a delay with this one, you know? Yeah, they, no. they were a little busy. No big. Yeah. No big. Yeah, they were busy. No big. Take your time. Uh, uh, but anyway, what we're going to do tonight on this film podcast is we got some what we've been watching. We're going to get to weekly plugs and then move on into an in-depth review. This week, we'll be reviewing the new Sean Durkin film, The Nest, starring Jude Law and Carrie Coons. Really looking forward to diving into this one with you. I think uh, it'll be an interesting conversation. That's what's in store for us today on the Slash Filmcast. We also got an After Dark for you. Uh, We are going to be going through a uh, Patreon slash listener mailbag, responding to some questions in the After Dark this week. Of course, if you want to support this podcast, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash filmpodcast. That's patreon.com slash and then the word filmpodcast. Uh, where you'll get ad-free episodes as well as After Darks starting in 2021. That will be the only way you can get After Darks. Uh, and you can find more episodes of this podcast in general at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Before we get to any of what we've been watching, I did want to mention uh, one big piece of film news, and that is Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, it was announced last week that Wonder Woman 1984, one of the most anticipated films of this past summer, is going to be released on HBO Max and in theaters uh, on December 25th, huh. 2020. Yeah. All right. For The pandemic has won. The pandemic has won. Is that the verdict? We... Well, here's here's what we'll say. This is not the first time that uh, a, a movie studio has decided to make uh, a fairly decent size release mm-hmm. uh, available on a streaming service. Remember, remember when The Lovebirds came out? on mm. Netflix yeah. uh, six months ago. Uh, that was supposed to come out in theaters. A bunch of movies like King of Staten Island were supposed to hit theaters, Trolls World Tour. But this is probably the biggest yeah. uh, budget movie. Pro- you know, The movie probably costs sure. anywhere between $150, $200 million, plus a bunch of m- money they put into marketing it already. I don't know. How much did Mulan cost? Because that's like the other big one, right? Roughly yeah. the same. So, Roughly the same. Yeah. That's correct, yeah. yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, let me, let me add another caveat then, right? Which is... I think this is the first one that is going to a streaming service where you don't need to pay an additional yeah, fee. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. It is, so, it is straight to streaming in the truest sense, yeah. Yep, yep. But yep, only, so only just for a month, which is an interesting little little niggle there because then, oh, you'll have a month to watch it, but you still have to buy it if you want to keep it, which is mm. how I think HBO got around the, you know, the sort of like Mulan thing, right? Uh, I never would have the, thought that that Wonder Woman would get a straight-to-video sequel. You know, <laughs> Wonder Woman, the, I think it was the number one movie of the summer, right? The year that it came out. Yes, it was. Uh, it made Gosh. like around $400 million domestic. It, it was unbelievable. Um, and deservedly I, so. Pretty pretty sure you didn't even put that on your top 10 that year, Jeff. I think it was a dark horse for me because I am <laughs> tied in to the pulse of America. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Je- re- Jeff really- is not regretting that decision still. Really, really, yeah, really interesting strategy. And I think it is to boost the uh, prospects of HBO Max. Obviously, sure. they're hoping they're going to attract enough subscribers that are going to stick around, yeah. uh, in order to make it worth it. 
you know, Jeff, in our texts about this prior to the show, you had indicated that, hey, like this is a movie that in in theaters would have made a billion dollars. Yeah, and I, essentially, I agree, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. In theaters, it would have made a billion dollars. Um, we, we should also remember, by the way, that Wonder Woman, I think, was originally supposed to come out last Christmas, and it got pushed to the summer because of Rise of Skywalker, if I recall correctly. I don't know if that's... Yeah, how many people are regretting that decision? Woo! Yeah. If uh, yeah. hindsight is twenty twenty, If they could do it over again, right, they'd probably just put it up against Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Oh, of yeah. course. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, you made a very good case, and I'm sure you're going to do it again here, but you made a very good case to me over text uh, that it actually could end up being... A, a lucrative play for HBO Max subscribers. But I, I have a hard time believing that anybody in Warner Brothers doesn't view this as a massive, massive loss on sure, what sure. could have been a billion dollar movie. And to the, the decision to release it on straight up HBO Max must have been an excruciating one for all the people involved. And, it, you know, it is forced on them and it is probably the least bad choice they could make at this point but my goodness the idea that you know even up against rise of skywalker i'm sure wonder woman would have done very 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 well and yeah um to think that you know clearly they moved it to summer to make more money right and all of that money evaporated i'm maybe not all of it but uh i would i would venture to guess a large portion of that revenue is just most definitely most definitely i I I do have to say yeah Go ahead, David. Go ahead. Well, one quick thing, right? Is that what what else can they do? You know, if yeah. they want to, if they want to do something with this hellscape of a year, and you know, I, I I'm somebody who has to report on earning uh, earnings reports and quarterly figures and things like that. So, if they want to, if Warner Brothers wants to have something to show for 2020, um, in in many different ways, like maybe this pays off more for them with the HBO max deal. Maybe this is like their, this is their hail Mary, their hail Diana, um, <laughs> that would, to, to really get something for the service. And also HBO max is kind of a clusterfuck because of, uh, because of many reasons, but mainly right now, because they're spending a lot of money just for the Zack Snyder thing for, uh, justice league. So, well, but there's going to uh, be like three new minutes of footage, dude. It's going to be, it's going to be four separate hours, four hours. More, you know, of justice. All right. So I I have a lot of reactions to what you guys are saying. First of all, I think HBO Max's launch has been, uh, let's just say, challenging. And I Mm -hmm. think not that many people are talking about how challenging it is, to be honest with you. But they have spent billions and billions of dollars on content. Uh, It was widely reported that they spent $500 million on South Park alone. Uh Just South Park. Not even counting anything else they put on the series. $500 million on just South Park. Hundreds of millions more. That's like only three dollars an episode. It's it's so true. Um, there's, a lot of, there's, a, there's a lot of South Park episodes. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they they haven't gotten that many new subscribers over the course of last year. Um, they, I think it was like at the end of 2019, they had like 36 million subscribers for HBO, and then as of this past uh, September, it was like 39 million or 40 million uh, for HBO Max. So it's like wow that is a lot of money they spent to get a few million subscribers. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, compare that to Disney Plus, which has accumulated around over 70 million subscribers in one year. So uh, the HBO Max launch has been troubled. Of course, things are starting to look up for them. They are uh, have just been added to uh, Fire TV uh, for, you know, after a long time of not being on Fire TV, <laughs> they are now going to be on, uh, I, I hear that they're going to be on Roku soon. So 
Yeah. Add those two things up. The Roku plus, thing. Yeah. Plus uh, Wonder Woman 1984. And it's like, okay, now like this might set HBO Max on a solid path. Right, right. So right. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that there is a potential. This attracts a ton of new subscribers, and those subscribers stick around. They mm-hmm. keep paying a monthly fee. That looks good for Warner Brothers. Well, we've the talked a bit thing- about this too, right? With the launch, is that the launch is just was kind of a disaster for them, and I think mostly from HBO's like side of things, because as somebody who's covering this, they were very confusing about what was launching and what was launching and what, what new things what from, can we expect from a branding from a branding yeah. can perspective I, can i watch these is... things i <laughs> i don't know <laughs> and from a consumer it's like there's hbo now there's hbo go now there's hbo max i i already HBO? have hbo <laughs> yeah why, so what am i what am i subscribing yeah. to here it was yeah. definitely it was definitely confusing but I, I think beyond the money guys i would say the big loss of Wonder Woman 1984 moving to HBO Max is uh, this movie would have been a massive cultural moment. Yeah. Right. And has there been a movie or show that has come out during the pandemic that is a massive cultural moment? The only one I can Mm -hmm. think of is Tiger King. uh, Tiger King. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and even that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily like the type of cultural moment that we would typically necessarily think of when we think of a movie like wonder woman 1984 you know like also i i'm i'm not sure i'd have to look it up but i think tiger king came out like 13 years ago yeah no that sounds mm-hmm. about right yeah, but yeah, yeah I, I mean uh you can imagine if this movie had come out this summer there'd be like memes you know uh dozens and dozens of articles <laughs> of about like Think, Think of the, the memes, the memes that we lost. <laughs> Pour one out for the memes we lost, you guys. Uh, I'm just okay. You guys are making fun, but I, I'm being serious that I think that like there is something about a bunch of people converging on movie theaters, all experiencing something yeah, at yeah. the same time in one weekend that makes something a cultural moment that is just not going to sure, happen sure, with sure. this movie. Right? I, I will maybe, miss maybe seeing will. this in the theater. I will miss will like happen. actually yeah. going and seeing it with the big crowd and having fun with it. Because uh, Wonder Woman, like, um, yeah, every year I travel to Taiwan for Computex, and Wonder Woman was one of those movies I ended up seeing there. And that was just a blast, seeing it with, you know, a crowd from a completely different culture, but we were all just, like, converging and loving it, you know, together. I love that. I agree that the the big screen experience for this particular movie mm-hmm. is a loss. I'm, yeah. I'm sad about that. I think it would have been a fun movie theater experience with my my popcorn and my candy the kids i I would have loved to bring my daughter to see she's not been to a big movie theater ever like we never got around to actually bringing her to one of those things yeah so i she's gonna be missing out for a while at least until things are safer maybe next year who knows how the vaccine rollout goes but yeah i do think i i think perhaps dave you may be overstating the inability of a streaming media to gain a cultural footprint i think it happens all the time i think you know, these shows like Game of Thrones and, you know, you can name, I think you can name a whole bunch of shows mm-hmm. that have become that and that people rally around. And and sometimes those but are shows Game of, that are- Game of Thrones was premium TV, to be clear. And that's a different well, cachet than the next Netflix show or something. Well, I, well, I, mean, I think Game of, Thrones, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones at the time it ended was one of the most popular shows on TV. It was like, yeah. I think around yeah. 16 million views per episode, something I mean, that I, w- I would was argue, competitive with Netflix. Uh, sorry, um, net, network television. But go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. I was just I would argue The Mandalorian is kind of doing this that right now at, with mm-hmm. Disney Plus. And I think that those things are happen. And I think 
Wonder Woman 1984 could still be that. But I, sure, I mean, I agree sure. with you that it's not going to be the same thing as shattering box office records this weekend or, you know, it, it's not going to be that kind of thing with the media showing the people in line all dressed up like Wonder Woman. Th those kinds of. I don't know, momentum establishers the, aren't going to happen. The things but. that make a, a movie culturally relevant, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, is really is really what we're going to we miss out a, on a little bit. We need but some yeah. sort of bell that chimes every time you, mm. you, you say that. But um, we'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I, I agree with you that we have had shows that have had massive cultural moments and uh, it's not but The, it's the not moments impossible. are short. Like, I think that's the big difference, right? The moment yes. of a streaming thing is short because then it's like, we're on to the next thing next week. And it doesn't feel like you have time to absorb it. So I, I don't know. To me, that is the big, the big issue here because we're talking about like, um, I can't think of a, of a Netflix thing that's actually latched on in Mandalorian. Mandalorian is great. I love talking about it with you guys. I love seeing it every week. I see star wars fans loving it and talking about it i don't see the mainstream like i don't see normal viewers talking about it much on twitter and that's the I thing like, I, the, I, I would yeah. say i would say the mandalorian has come the closest mandalorian baby yoda, King, baby yoda, is, yeah, baby yoda yeah. is is a cultural phenomenon i think and sure. so i think i think those are the two shows tiger king and mandalorian that have come really the closest again in my extremely limited experience and isolated social sphere <laughs> uh they've come the closest to really like breaking out and being kind of uh, mass market hits in this pandemic streaming era. Let but, me yeah. let me pitch you on a movie. It predates the the pandemic, but I, I think I would argue that Bird Box did that. I know not to the extent that you would imagine maybe a Wonder yeah. Woman ha having, but I do think that was a movie on Netflix that everybody had to watch at a certain point. You know, it felt like <laughs> it was, had to watch. It was a rite of pa it was a rite of yeah. passage. We we're all just um, very bored. I would yeah. argue that Bird Box is a great example of why you're wrong, Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> I would <laughs> argue that, about that movie. Who, who has talked about Bird Box in the yeah. last six months? You know what I'm saying? Like, no, I'm not arguing know? that it it retain two years later. It, people are still talking about Bird Box. I'm saying that this thing you're talking about, where you know, in, in this moment everybody's talking about the same thing at the same time, like an opening of a movie in theaters. I, I, I thought that's what we were, the comparison we were making, not that, sure, you know, sure. it has this stamp that transcends space and time. No, you know? uh, well, it's, it's both in my opinion, yeah. it's both. It's, it's yeah. both. You have the massive kind of box office opening, everyone talking about it. And then you have the pop culture afterglow where for many, many months afterwards mm -hmm. or years afterwards, People are still talking about it, thinking about it, referring to lines from it and Do stuff. Do you remember going to a theater and seeing this movie? And that's very right. different than your, your, the next thing moments. I just streamed on my couch. Right, right. right. I mean, I would say Bird, Bird Box is the avatar of streaming <laughs> movies, you know, in I the sense dare, that, yeah. wow, yeah. massive hit that left mm -hmm. absolutely no cultural footprint. Yeah, it broke all sorts of, like, records yes. for Netflix, right? All but sorts no of records. Yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think that that has... <laughs> I, I think we're talking about two completely different things. I mean, I, I think you're, I think Wonder Woman will either have a cultural footprint or won't. It has nothing to do about whether it was released in a movie theater or not. It may have, it may have a moment. If we're talking about a moment, releasing in a movie theater, I think can help create a moment sure. in a more powerful way than releasing it on, on streaming. Yeah. But I was arguing that. It's, it's an that, exclusive moment. Right. Yeah, like and I was arguing it that there. it's possible to do have a streaming moment as well. Like Tiger King, 
uh, or or I would argue Bird Box had a streaming sure, sure. moment, right, where it was sort of like the thing that everybody was yeah, yeah. talking about. I think I think we were arguing about the degrees of moments, right? There there is like a supernova moment, and then there is like you know a coronal ejection or something. Like I, I don't know. <laughs> like that's what I'm thinking. Way to clear it up. Use use a wait. Um, it's it's like yes. a thing. Speaking I'm, of Bird yeah. Box, though, I had a, I had a thought just the other day. I was like. <laughs> We, we were supposed to. We were supposed to get. I just like, Corona. I'm just looking for every first thing I think of. Every movie's coronal of. ejection is what we got to compare. It's just like oh, yeah. I'm yeah. trying to move on from that as fast as possible, yeah. you guys. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. Jeff. I had a thought uh, about we were supposed to get a Quiet Place sequel this summer too. Yeah. Like you don't hear April. any April. word about that movie getting a home release. You know, nobody has said any word about it's like eh, it seems a little too well, too close to reality oh oh because because of the extremely upsetting subject matter you mean. i mean we, that we is are talking like about, what we're living through basically we are you know? talking about a quiet place three by the way which jeff nichols is going to be writing and directing and i cannot wait to see that so are they still making that even though they haven't released the second they, one they just announced it like they announced it earlier wow. this month so it's happening yeah wow well we'll see we'll see um i feel like there's a whole bunch of movies that we would have been talking about this summer that aren't the wonder womans of the world or the, you know, the black widows of the world that it's like, well, what, what about those movies? You know, what, what's that, what's going on we'll with never those know. movies? We'll mental never know. exercise, mental exercise, right? Like obviously we didn't do a summer movie wager this year, but if you, if we could live out an alternate reality where coronavirus never happened, like what, what is the movie that you think you would be talking about the most or thinking about the most, aka your favorite summer movie this this year? Mm. Like what, what, what would it have been? Dune, probably Dune. Oh wow, yeah. Jeez, I was like, was Dune supposed to come out this summer? Was it? I think um, so, wasn't it? Or was it? I, I, I was forget it fall dates. movies. Uh, <laughs> I think I forget dates and yeah. joy. <laughs> Maybe it was. Yeah. Maybe it was a fall movie. Was it a fall movie? I thought it was a summer movie. No, it was originally November twentieth. That, oh, that yeah. was okay. yeah, yeah. So it wasn't summer. It would have. It would have come out this. Where's the movie we'd be talking about? This episode. <laughs> yep, that's crazy. <laughs> Comes right back around. So, um, holy I, shit! That's I'm crazy. gonna say. I'm gonna say for me, <laughs> the movie probably would have been. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say because obviously I might be proven wrong later uh, with no evidence, but I'm gonna say No Time to Die. It, just because mm. uh, I think it's, uh, you know, uh, Carrie Fukunaga taking on yeah, yeah. Daniel Craig's yeah. thing. And, and also, like, cool. Daniel Craig basically seemed to, like, hate his job. Like, just I'm just going based off of the performance. I'm going based yeah. off of the yeah. performance where it felt like he was very disconnected. Also, the movie was complete nonsense. Um, I think um, you're talking about go, Spectre? Spectre, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I think he just... He read the script, right? I assume he read the script for that movie. <laughs> there was a script. He was just like, I'm I gotta, not sure anybody I, did. I got to do so, this. I guess I have to do all this shit. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, is this you know the Daniel Craig years of Bond have been a mixed bag at best. Yeah. Good but, year, bad year, good year. This is we're on a good year. Now, but this could so. have been a good. This could have been a good yeah. one. This would have been like the thing that ties it up. And uh, you know, Casino Royale will always have a special place in my heart. And I'm like, maybe this is the movie that's really going to bring it home. It's going to redeem the crimes of the Quantum of Solace and sure. and Spectre. And you know, maybe it's going to all be better. And so, I think there's a chance. I think there's yeah. a chance. And we'll see. I, th- we'll I think see. So, you're forgetting about the most important film we lost this summer. And what's that, Devendra? F nine. <laughs> 
Fast and Furious 9. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. It yeah. was, I think that was also the first movie to get the fuck out of Dodge. Yeah. I think that was yeah. the first movie. It was like, we were yep. all being like, man, do you think, what do you think about this? And, and F9 was like, we're delaying a year. And yeah, everybody was they, like, whoa, that seems pretty extreme, F9. And like, no, we know. We, we, <laughs> we've been we, to we the future. Tell. We know yeah. what's happening. They yeah. have cars that can travel to the future. Uh, hashtag Justice for Han, I think would have, th- this is, hashtag Justice for Han would have been yes. the phenomenon of the summer if, yep this movie had come and out it, and so i certainly would have tried to make it such a thing you know so yeah <laughs> we would have tried to make it a thing so anyway so okay that's davindra's choice jeff any thoughts on like what movie would have been the movie you were oh, still thinking man. about after this year uh i mean i i guess dune is invalid because it was november um yes. your, your choice is invalid you should feel bad i can't you know i have a hard time remembering all the movies i mean i think black widow or, or wonder woman are mm. two of the ones that i was most excited for yeah, yeah. Um, but I feel like there's a whole number of them that I was, I just don't even remember what was supposed to come out at this point. Um, I'm, I'm really unsure of Black Widow, by the way. Like, Jeff, I know you've seen nothing from what that movie actually is, yeah. but so much of it looked like, is this just a direct-to-video Marvel movie? Like, I'm surprised they haven't just made that jump yet. So wow. I guess we'll see. I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't agree. I don't agree for what it's worth. But yeah, I think that movie would have done really well. So, well, certainly well, yeah. Yeah, uh, and Jeff, you probably haven't seen the trailer for Black Widow, but let's say no. they pair her up with some cool people in the movie. Oh, so that's exciting. There's some cool people that she does some action things with, and yeah. I'm excited about that. Shocking, so, shocking. Yeah. I think you know. I think we will one day see it. The other thing, by the way, that I wanted to mention about this whole Wonder Woman thing is, uh, we we are we are judging their decision to release. Many many people have judged this decision. Mm-hmm. They've said, "Oh my gosh, what a disaster for cinema!" Blah blah blah. And I, I think we, we don't even know what Wonder Woman really is about, right? Like, right. We, we don't know what is in the movie. And so I mean, maybe there's stuff, like the movie is already I, I been don't delayed. want to spoil it for Jeff, but there's certainly one thing I really am curious about. And that is, um, you could just plug your ears for a little bit, Jeff, but I'll Kristen Wiig turning into like a cat lady? I don't know what's happening there. I'm very confused about all of this, but okay. Yes, I'm, I'm here well, for it. I, I guess my point is, like, we don't know who the villain of Wonder Woman is. Right, right. And, like, we don't know what resonance the events of Wonder Woman have yep. with our modern day. Why is Chris Pine day. there? We don't know. Well, we, we, anyway, I guess my point being, like, maybe this is a movie that was made to be released last December. And if they tried to release it in, like, two years from now, it would be seen as irrelevant. We, we, don't, we don't know. Or the topics, the, the, the sort of what the movie's about wouldn't feel as relevant. Who knows? Who knows? So we don't know why all the reasons that went into this decision, uh, but we will be here to review Wonder Woman yeah. 1984 when but it hits HBO Max this December. One thing I will say is like, I think very clearly they spent, you know, the money on that movie to get some sort of return within this fiscal year. And I think this is like the, this is the only, this is your only other shot. You know, you'll do this, you'll get some HBO Max subscriptions, you'll get some VOD you know, purchases afterwards because it will leave HBO Max. So they'll get something and they'll get international uh, theatrical, you know, which is a bigger and bigger countries. It will open in theaters. Yes. And it will also open understood what was happening and yeah, behaved appropriately. Yeah. It will also open in theaters in the United States. Both of the ones that are open at that time. So I, I went ahead and Googled uh, and uh, I want to remind us of a couple of movies. uh, One of which I'm shocked Dave didn't bring up. Uh-huh. And that is Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know yeah. you were super excited about that movie, Dave, right? Weren't you? I, I am super excited about the movie. I, I'm curious how the movie is going to get around the fact that 
in general, we don't really do dog fights anymore. Like just in in terms of the United States, as you a, might not, but Tom Cruise does. <laughs> like uh, we don't. When's the last time we had dog fights with another country? Like I don't think yeah. it really happens that often. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm curious how they're going to deal with that. But I, I'm excited about that's, the technology. That's your hang up. Is yep. the believability correct of Tom? I mean, hundred percent. What are the Jets doing? What are the Jets just like baby basically babysitting the drones now? And that's Top Gun too. Exactly. You know? So, All right, Jeff, I just don't uh, buy into the <laughs> just don't buy into the conflict in the in the Top Gun franchise. You know, if it's there's a, one thing, if there's one thing I watch Top Gun for, it's the geopolitics, Jeff. So. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jeff, hit yeah, us exactly. up with a couple movies, and we gotta go to a break. Oh, sorry, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, oh, genuinely yeah. curious about. Sure. Um, it was supposed to have come out July 10th, <laughs> uh, and then Free Guy. Uh, oh, yeah. Which could uh, have been a real sleeper, I think. It could have been that yeah. fun R-rated like Deadpool movie, uh, supposed to have come out July third. Uh, now it's coming out in December, evidently. I uh, think it's. I think it was recently just pulled completely from the schedule, if I, if I recall correctly. But yeah. yeah, it was pushed to December, and now I don't know what's going to happen to it. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, the alternate universe of if coronavirus hadn't happened, the movies that we would have been in love with. But yeah, we will uh, be talking about Wonder Woman. Uh, and hope that it has a great cultural moment this December. Hey, I'm so excited to talk to you right now about our sponsor, HelloFresh. Why am I excited? I love HelloFresh. I use it every single week. Just tonight, I cooked a meal using HelloFresh, the service where you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. It's America's number one meal kit. It's the one I love the most. It's so simple. It's so easy. It adds variety into my menu. It allows me to be awesome and provide for my family, be the cook, be the chef. I feel like I learned a new skill having used HelloFresh. I love that it takes away all the pain points from cooking. Did I like picking out meals? No, I did not. (laughs) Did I like going to the grocery store and buying the ingredients for those recipes? No, I did not. Did I like having extra of all those ingredients getting going bad in my fridge because I didn't need that. I just bought a small amount of what I needed was a small amount for a recipe and then it goes bad in my fridge. HelloFresh gets rid of all those problems. You can get a wonderful home-cooked meal on your dinner table in about 30 minutes. The recipes are easy to follow with simple steps and pictures to guide you along the way. Even an idiot like me can cook. The ingredients are pre-portioned, so there's no undue waste. Over 90% of the ingredients are sourced directly from growers to ensure peak flavor and ripeness. And it's sustainable. It's the first global carbon-neutral meal kit company. How great is that? They offset their operations, travel, and shipping emissions. Their carbon footprint at HelloFresh is 25% lower than store-bought grocery-made meals. Wow, that's incredible. It's flexible. You can change your meal. They have tons of recipes. Part of the joy of it is my wife and I curling up with our HelloFresh app and picking out what we're going to have in the next week or two. It's just great. It's improved my life immeasurably. Plus, HelloFresh is committed to giving back. They have committed to donating to those in need, and they have donated over 3.5 million meals to people in need in 2020. That's great. So, Try it for yourself. Go to HelloFresh.com slash FilmCast90. That's FilmCast and then the number 90. And use promo code FilmCast90 to get $90 off, including free shipping. That's amazing. HelloFresh.com slash FilmCast90. 
and the promo code filmcast90 to get $90 off, including free shipping. Try it. It'll change your life. All right, let's get to what we've been watching, gents. Uh, so, Jeff, let's start with you. You've been watching a few things that are cool. I have. Uh, I want to start with a Netflix series called We Are the Champions. Have either of you seen this show yet? No. Uh, Netflix has been promoting it nonstop uh, on my uh, personalized experience. And, uh, of course uh, it has. It it is, there's no more Dave Chen show in existence than this. Well, it looks interesting, but there was like another show that came out recently that was extremely similar to it. It's like basically like weird sports around the, the world, right? Yes. Yeah. Now, in order for me to talk about this show in the way I would like to, uh-huh. I'm going to need to Home spoil. Game. Home Game, by the way, was another. <laughs> we, there's a movie oh. called, there's a show called Home Game that was like extremely similar. And I'd watched a couple of those and I was like, this is pretty good. But I don't yeah. know if I have, if I want to watch another the, the, whole one of those. Indeed. The premise is that it is uh, each episode focuses on competitions that are real. They're not staged for the show in any in any way at all. It's not a reality show in the sense that it is uh, invented competitions and bringing people in. It is more of a docu-series about these things that already happen all around the world. And they focus on the people that compete in them and then focus on a, a competition that happens in these strange sports, like competitive chili eating, like the hottest chili peppers in the world. People competing in eating the most the spiciest, most insanely hot chili peppers or competitive hairstyling or competitive yo-yo, which I know, Dave, you actually made a short film about. Um, so I was wondering if perhaps you'd seen seen that. But um, it, it they're all interesting. It's, do, it's done very uh, self-serious and um, it's almost like the old style like 19 late 70s early 80s like wide world of sports or not even wide world of sports but more like um nfl films like you know the on a sundown a blistery sunday the gladiators of the gridiron take their helmets and you know all that like slow motion footage of the guy with the steaming head you know you've i'm sure lots of people have seen those old documentaries of like the music is dun da da dun dun da da dun it's like the greatest baseball players of all time assembled in one place at one time. It's it's that kind of grandiose, self-serious. But I but this one also kind of is tongue-in-cheek doing that because it is very much aware of the uh, off-kilter nature of a lot of the people that are competing in these things uh, or the unusual... Uh, subculture that they're exposing here. Um, and I, I, the things I want to say about the show will spoil a couple of them in the sense of if you're worried about who wins or who loses. So I would still like to say those things because I very much want to convey how I actually feel about the show, <laughs> but I want to be sensitive to anybody that might not want to know who wins or loses. Sure. I don't think who wins or loses is a, the biggest deal yeah, with this regard I, to this, but so I want you to go on. And so we'll just say spoilers for we are the champions. But last time you did this, it was for the, uh, it was for uh, what do you call it? The show, the grand design show. And I was kind of like, it, it intrigued me enough to watch it. But then I was like, you know, I'm a little bummed. I already know the end of this one. So I'm going to take off my headphones for a minute. Oh, ahead, Dave. You, okay. You can take yeah, off your but, headphones. No, no, cause, but I, cause you, you, you are the one I want enough. to hear this. Well, okay, but your 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 recommendation is I should really watch the show, right? Yeah. Uh, 
I laughed my ass off at this show. <laughs> it entertained me in the extreme. Uh, so in that sense, yes. Uh, but... Uh, but go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, you, no, no, you, you can you take your hands. I, yeah, I don't want to ruin anything for anybody. I, I'm the last person that would want to do that. I just, I just want to share with you the joy of this uh-huh. that I had in watching it, and I want to share it with the audience because it is ultimately very. So, and this to me is the new floor is lava, right? This is uh-huh. Uh-huh. great, great watching that is entirely disposable watching, right? It is super entertaining, but ultimately also terrible you know it is it, not not even not as terrible as floors lava which is like genuinely sort of badly made <laughs> this is actually pretty well made it's i think produced by rain wilson but certainly uh, narrated by rain, rain wilson um the uh you know from the office yeah um, so uh, so are you going to spoil it or not which what do you uh, just i just want to know well i would like to say what i'd like to say but i understand yeah. that if you don't want to hear it yeah, yeah. So, so. so 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 spoil the thing and go ahead and uh okay i will yep, so go ahead so the first episode is down a downhill race that happens in the uk that is a a ridiculously steep slope and this is evidently some people in in the the show claim that it has been a race that has happened for hundreds of years. It's this tradition of racing down this steep, in, insanely steep slope that is so steep that people have a hard time keeping their footing on this on this slope. And the show starts to focus in on this one particular woman who <laughs> they say. And only one woman has ever won this race three times. She's going for her fourth time, which will be a new world record. She has gotten to the bottom faster than any woman every single time she's raced it. She's entered the race three times and won three times. This is whatever her name is. And then they show her and she's standing there regally looking at the camera with a serious face, like you would see in a, you know, all these sports biopics. Yeah, there she is. She is an athlete of extreme caliber, able to navigate this hill in a way that no other woman has ever done before. And they cut to a shot of her winning the race. And she just eats shit so hard, so ridiculously hard her entire strategy is to just fucking eat shit she just barrels down the mountain falls flat on her face hits her head on the 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 surface of the ground so hard and then just continues flopping and rolling and eating shit down the entire face of this mountain to the point where you're like, I'm concerned that she's alive. And then she sort of skids <laughs> to a stop at the bottom of the hill and gets up and they raise her hand and she wins. And she's done it three times. It's uh, it is, it's that episode of The Simpsons where Homer Simpson just falls down. The, yes. Uh, the candy. Yes. It's that in real life. It's like she is amazing because she's willing to just fucking eat shit. Just just plummet. 
with no concern for her own physical safety down this mountain. It is absolutely hilarious to watch because the setup is so perfect and and austere and noble. And then you see the methodology she uses to win the race every time. And it couldn't be less graceful. It couldn't be less athletic. It is just, oh, I'm going to get to the bottom faster than anybody. <laughs> I just have no idea. But but then, they, it, you know, it goes into detail and it examines these people's lives and it talks to them and you, you kind of gain an appreciation for what they put themselves through. And the same thing is true with the, um, the, the chili eating contest. Like it, you, you literally watch these people go through hell. They are putting themselves through hell and they show this in the, the world championship, or maybe it's the American championship, whatever it is big, like the b- biggest compilation of extreme heat eaters in history, all on one stage. And they show that from all over the world is this woman from uh, Australia and people from all over the world have flown in to compete in this chili eating contest. And you watch them over 13 rounds punish their bodies, resist, physically resisting the urge to regurgitate what their body is rejecting. They're talking about, I can't feel my face or my hands. They're going through hell. And at the end, the Rain Wilson, the announcer goes, and the winner gets a thousand dollars. And you're just like, they did this for a thousand dollars. It's like, it's, it, it's nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> they put themselves you know, Jeff, I mean, <laughs> you know, for, for some people, a thousand dollars would be worth eating shit down a mountain. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, maybe I'm in a privileged How position much, like, to say. How much damage occurs? Maybe you're in a privileged position. Maybe in a privileged position to say I would not, you know, go, potentially ruin my physiology permanently <laughs> for a thousand dollars. I mean, the medical bills alone must be. Uh, but <laughs> there's another one, Dave. There's another one. I have to. I just have to. I have to mention because it's so. It's the 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 juxtaposition of how they set things up is so funny. the The other one I I watched was was the uh, the yo yo one, and they do this. They they you know it, the whole thing is Rain Wilson going, misfits. Oddballs, people who don't fit in anywhere else. Yo-yo is the the thing that can bring them together, where they find acceptance, love, and ability to show off what only they can do. It's that kind of thing, right? It's like they focus on like three or four of these people, and he's like, you know. So you're so you're up. saying the narration is the opposite of Flora's Lava, basically. Yes, yes. It's it's Flora's it Lava would be like misfits. It's yeah, no, These it's are the in guys on its that own show jam. Off what they can do, you know. Yeah. No, <laughs> and, and so and so they're doing this yo-yo thing and it's like all these wonder wonderful people, my people, right? Nerds. I I am a nerd. I grew up a nerd. I I get it. I love I love these things about subcultures of subcultures of subcultures, you know, like these niche of a niche of a niche. That's just the smallest group of people that go to a, you know, a Ramada in ballroom and have the world championships. You know, it's like we were talking about with the um, the uh, the Rubik's Cube, uh, wonderful Rubik's Cube documentary, where it's like, you know, the, these people Cube dedicate master, themselves. Right? Yeah, I think that's what it was called. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they dedicate themselves to something so obscure 
outside the mainstream, but they do it with an, an amazing level of skill. And then this very, very small, speak you for, yes, sorry. Yes. Sorry. Yep. This very small community <laughs> of people like, you know, they appreciates them and they're all super into it. And I love that. I love views into those particular subcultures. So they're doing that with this, with this yo-yo thing. And then at one point, Rain Wilson is, you know, they, and they focused on like four or five of these competitors, which clearly they like picked out beforehand and you meet their families and you find out what brought them there and all the, the, uh, training and, and, and practice they've done to get there. And this one guy's like his dad sold yo-yos and you know, it, it's like a, a lifestyle. And then it's like, and also there's Hans or whatever his name is, or Kevin or whatever it is. And he's like, he's six, four chiseled and blonde. And it looks like, it looks like this male model. And, but they like, don't spend any time with them. And then like at the end of the thing, the like the final competition is like only misfits. This one place where they can fit in, where they can, you know, get, get together and actually, you know, do something and show that they're the, and then of course, fucking Hans wins the whole thing. You know, it's like, it's so, it's so funny. Like this, at the end, you have this like six foot four chiseled model dude and all of these other men and women that are, you know, like the, the yeah. nerds that I love, my people, you know, like that found yo-yoing and the, the winner of the competition is the guy who's going to look great on the cover of the magazine, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, so, it sounds like it, the worst, uh, here's one to the misfits, here's one to the yes. yeah, weirdos ads ever. Yeah, it's, it's like, like oh, oh, by the way, yeah. Hans won. Um, yeah. Anyway, moving Alexander on. Alexander Skarsgård you know, like is in the show and just won? Wow, amazing. <sighs> it's so funny. I, I, I really recommend it. I mean, like I said, it is, it's not going to, it's it's <laughs> wonderful viewing when you just kind of want to shut your brain off and laugh your ass off. I I laughed a lot watching it. So I know it's a lot. There's a lot to say about that, but <laughs> I appreciate that you've basically made this review your um uh I don't know, your demo tape for season two. <laughs> like you just yeah. really you're this really is, gunning for Rain Wilson's job here. This I is want your it, demo right, right, yeah. 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 I'm ready. Okay, that show is We Are the Champions on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will probably check out a couple episodes next week. Yeah, right. You should at least watch the yo-yo one because I know you have such experience with that culture and and videoing a professional competing in that culture. I think you you dig it. Yeah. All right. Um. So we are the champions streaming right now on Netflix. Okay. Uh, Jeff, why don't we do one more of your what we've been watching? Um. Uh, how about okay. the personal history of David Copperfield? That was really yeah. interesting. Check this out. I was very excited to watch this movie. Um. It is. Another one of those movies, like we were talking about, that was supposed to be a summer theatrical release. It was a kind of a notable, um, I think, Sundance pickup. I think it was one of those movies that was was kind of coming out of the the all the festivals and was getting a lot of traction. And people were talking a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, stars what's his name? Dev Patel. Um, yeah, Dev Patel, who I love. He's great. And, and it's he's, directed by Armando Iannucci, who uh, is the creator of Veep, The Thick of It, uh, yeah. a bunch of things I love. Yeah. And it is uh, it, it is an adaptation of the Charles Dickens novel, uh, Personal History of David Copperfield, and a- attempts to do um, the book, I think, much more um, faithfully as far as uh, plot and structure than uh, other film adaptations have, although I haven't seen a num- very many of them. But I think this one attempts to sort of make it feel more like a novel than other adaptations have. Uh, and this is an excellent movie. It is also notable because it proves that, quote unquote, colorblind casting, it just works. It's just uh-huh. fine. It's, this like, movie you is don't a even... statement. It's a statement on like, yep, 
Dev Patel is play, playing this guy, you know, who but we've read about that, forever. Like, yeah. Wall to wall. It yeah. just seems like they picked the best actor for the job. You know, it just felt like they cast the movie uh, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. It, like, you know, what, who, whose dad was who in the movie. Like, it, it all just felt like these are just great actors playing these interesting characters. And I didn't give it another thought. It was, it was, it was great. And I feel like all those people are like, well, in the period, there really wouldn't be eh, hogwash. That's nonsense. It, we're making a movie and these are actors, right? Who gives a shit? Uh, it's, uh, I think a wonderful vision of a future where we can just cast great actors in great parts without regard for, you know, their ethnicity. Um, and I, I really, really liked it. it. It is, it has a pace that you don't often get from these sort of period, um, uh, you know, novel, great, um, great historical novel type movies. You know, it, it, this thing gets shot out of a cannon and you are moving at a brisk pace throughout. It doesn't take time to stop and think. It, it is constantly showing you something new, taking you to a new place. Dev Patel's journey through this life uh, of David Copperfield is, uh, is nonstop. It is just like he's one place to another. And of course, the novel is all about this character taking on new personalities with whichever with whichever group he happens to find himself in at any given time and uh and so it, it is also a you know a a um a catalog of different characters and locations and things and i think the movie benefits from moving through that very fast and uh using very interesting film techniques there are um ways of showing the character writing his memoir there are ways of you know in certain scenes they'll they'll like project something on a uh, a sheet hanging from a clothesline to show you what someone is thinking there's all kinds of really inventive visual flourishes that make the movie i think special and 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 feel uh kinetic and always on the go throughout it i i I really dug it. I had a good time watching uh, the personal history of David Copperfield. All right, the personal history of David Copperfield is streaming right now. Uh, I think you need to buy it yeah. or rent it, right? You it's probably rented it. Right? I Definitely. rented it on Google Play, uh, which is what the only service I was able to see that it was on. It was like seven bucks, I think, for me to rent. Uh, yeah. So, but most platforms will have the personal history of David Copperfield. I'm really excited about this, Jeff. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. that you enjoyed it. I did indeed. Yeah. Hey, I want to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, StoryWorth. You know, it's a different kind of year. We may not be able to gather all together with friends and family for Thanksgiving. I know I'm certainly not going to be able to see my family the way I always do for the holidays, but that doesn't mean... I can't still feel close. I don't still want to feel close. And with StoryWorth, I do get a little bit closer to my loved ones. I gave a StoryWorth subscription to my father for Father's Day a couple of years ago and one to my mom for Mother's Day just last year. And both times, it has been a wonderful, wonderful gift. What is StoryWorth? It is an online service that helps your loved ones share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. You engage with your family in ways that 
I know I had a hard time doing on my own. It's not the kind of thing where I just send my mom an email and ask her a question about her childhood or how she grew up or something about her past that I didn't know. But with StoryWorth, every single week, my mom or my dad, when it was his year, <laughs> they got an email with a different story prompt, questions that I would never think to ask, like, how was how has your life turned out differently from how you imagined it would? Or have you ever pulled any great pranks? And it because it's an email, it just feels natural to respond to the email right back. My my parents took it really seriously and and uh, wrote wonderful responses. I can read those responses in real time. And then after a year, Storyworth compiled their stories, including pictures that I submitted, into a beautiful keepsake book that is shipped for free to me. So you can give your loved ones the gift of spending time together wherever you live with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping by going to storyworth.com slash slash filmcast. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash and then the word slash filmcast. S-L-A-S-H-F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, all one word. And it gets you $10 off. Again, storyworth.com slash slash filmcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time once again for me to tell you about our sponsor, Manscaped. That's right. The holidays are here. Have you made your wish list yet? Well, our sponsor, Manscaped, is the number one wished for gift of the year. The best in men's below and above the belt grooming. Manscaped is here to ensure you're taking care of your manhood and your nose hairs with their new performance package. And I want to talk a little bit to the ladies tonight. That's right, the ladies who want their man scaped. What could possibly be the better gift this holiday season than the Manscaped Performance Package? Imagine giving your loved one an attractive box. They open it up on Christmas or Hanukkah or any holiday morning. And what does it say? They pop open that box and right there it says... Your balls will thank you. That's right. It really does say that on the Manscaped box. Your balls will thank you. That is love. That is love. Included in this new package is the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, which is waterproof and uses 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. You want to stick that up your nose. It'll get rid of those hairs. I'm talking power in your nose hole. Look, guys, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Why not use the best tools for the job hair? Plus, the bundle includes the lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, the best trimmer on the market for your balls, butt, and body. That's right, the three Bs. You want to get those three Bs looking their best, right, buddy? I know that you do. So listen, ladies, if you give this your balls will thank you for it kind of gift on the holidays, it's a gift for them. It's a gift for you. It's a go. It's a win win. This is amazing. Oh, let's not forget the famous liquid formulations, the crop preserver ball deodorant and the crop reviver ball toner to maximize your ball hygiene routine. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code FILMCAST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. 
Use that promo code FILMCAST, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. What are you waiting for? Go whack your weeds and make Santa proud. Give the gift that keeps on giving. I promise you, your balls will thank you. All right, uh, before we move on to your next what we've been watching, Jeff, I do want to acknowledge that Jonathan Palermo in the chat room did throw out a movie because uh, we're broadcasting live right now. He did throw out a movie that he was baffled why we didn't mention it during our our, our uh, preamble about movies that we would have been talking about. And that movie is Tenet. Uh, I don't think Tenet familiar. counts because it it did have a release. <laughs> like, it did come out in theaters, right? So yeah. I, we, were, we were imagining, like, if the coronavirus hadn't happened, like the movies that we would have been thinking about Anyway, uh, we I, I will be talking about We've certainly been thinking about it more. Like, we would have seen Tenet. So I guess in that respect, you know, it, it's out, but I, I still have not seen it. Yeah. Tenet now feels like one of those movies that I always meant to get around to seeing, but <laughs> ha- just haven't for whatever reason, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. It, it feels, it's weird. Like, there isn't any way for me to have seen it, but I feel like so many people have seen it. <laughs> It's yeah, just one of those exactly. movies that's like my list of shame. It's on my list of shame now. Is what it is. Yeah. It's uh, it, it kind it's, of it exists in my mind. You know when like a TV show does like a, a spoof of what a director's movies would be. Tenet to me feels like a not real Christopher Nolan movie. It is, <laughs> it is the thing you yeah. see on the background wow. of the TV show. Yeah, I, I'm that, looking damn. forward to seeing it someday. Yeah, it's like that Actually, Robert December, Zemeckis movie December. in the inside yeah. the uh, exactly. exactly Charlie Kaufman movie. Yeah. This time we're moving time backwards, everybody. <laughs> Christopher Nolan's a genius. <laughs> all right jeff what else have you been watching oh just briefly i'll mention uh, marvel 616 um faithful listeners to our show will know that i am a marvel zombie from way back love marvel and disney plus debuted a new series a new docu-series uh called marvel 616 that i guess you would say the premise is that uh, each episode delves into a kind of um undercovered or under revealed uh little corner of the structure of marvel um writers that maybe you wouldn't see highlighted in other things or um you know there's an episode on uh cosplay there's um an episode there's an episode that is hosted by paul shear a friend of the show paul shear who um He's talking about like really obscure Marvel characters that he's trying to. The premise of the episode is he's trying to like pitch a new series uh, on, but he can't find a character that hasn't already appeared in some sort of Marvel property. So he has to find really obscure characters. Um, so it's like, you know, little, little corners of the Marvel universe or co- more, not even the Marvel universe as fiction, but more like the machinations of Marvel as a company, as a, as a force throughout the years. I mean, there's a, the first episode is all about this Japanese Spider-Man series that existed in the late seventies that is kind of lost and nobody really has heard of before, but they talk about how it, it sort of was a precursor to Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and a lot of other things. Um, those fascinating little, uh, you know, uh, diamonds in the rough from, from Marvel history. Um, and it's, it's really good. It's really well made. I think I, I kind of think the show should be half hour episodes and they are hour episodes. Um, I like the depth that they go into, but I also feel like uh, some of the episodes overstay their welcome. At least for me, they did. And it just felt like, well, I kind of wish it was just a half an hour and I could jump in and jump out and learn something fast and not have to stick around for a whole hour of this. But uh, it's impressive that they have so many episodes and they're all 
quite long and in-depth. And I think, well, worth watching if you're curious about uh, some of the sides of, of Marvel as a company that maybe you might not know. Cool. That's Marvel 616 streaming on Disney Plus, right? Yes. And I believe it was created by David Gelb, the guy who directed uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Nice. So, yeah. um, I mean, which he, is a great he did uh, Chef's Table and stuff too. Like, he's done a bunch of series yeah. so far. Yeah. A lot of uh, slow motion uh, shots of people <laughs> making comic books, Chef, or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. They're actually eating sushi. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Classical episode. music's playing in the background. I thought this yeah. was a Marvel show. I don't know. Yeah. It's Marvel 616 on Disney+. Plus. Uh, okay, I, I will run through my stuff real quick. Uh, this week, I finished The Crown Season 4. Now, we talked about The Crown Season Congrats. 4 on the podcast last week. And Devendra, I think, called it a great sleep show, is what yeah. the, the technical term. Nap, I think he used the word nap. nap show to great. nap to. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just going to come out right now and say, I disagree, Devendra. I respectfully register my objection to that characterization. Sounds like somebody um, that hasn't enjoyed a good nap. Mm, yeah. uh, so true. I mean, that's true. But I will say that I think that The Crown is a really good television show. I, after having watched season four, and I, last week I thought to myself, is this good? Is this not? Yeah. And well, I think uh, it's actually really good. I, I think will that, say I've heard from people saying, because Dave, Dave, you're, you're coming into this as a, as a crown babe, a, a newborn. <laughs> Really into this into the series and uh-huh. well, let he's me tell really you, crowning. He's just crowning. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, this is the final crowning. Um, season two, <laughs> season three. Oh, buddy! Like there, there were there were va- there were like large chunks of episodes where nothing happens, and I've heard from many <laughs> many people where oh, season four is actually kind of a return to form. I didn't really uh, gel with that first episode, but I'll probably keep watching it. Yeah. I think it's really great. I mean, a, a few things about the just a f- couple of rab- random stray observations about the Crown season four. One is that there are many objections to the fact that, and you know, we have had this debate on this podcast before, but mm-hmm. I do think that they should put something in every episode that's like this episode was based off of true events, and uh, you know, some right. facts and conversations have been changed, and like literally, that's it. N- nothing else. Everything else is fine, but like. I think without that, the show has the lavish production values and the sheen of reality. Mm-hmm. And I do think there are some people, a significant group of people who will watch this this show and think, oh, that's exactly how it happened or pretty close to how it happened. When in fact, most of the show in terms of the conversations that occur are complete fabrications. Um, so uh, that's just my personal opinion. Not everyone will agree. The, the thing is, it is clearly the creation of a person who thinks that the institution of the monarchy is toxic. Uh, I think that he humanizes the people that are caught up in it and makes you sympathize with them. But fundamentally, he thinks that there are like many terrible, terrible things about it, that it destroys more than it does good in the world. And um, that comes through very clear in all the the storytelling in the show. And speaking of storytelling, I think that uh, the show is very good, like episodically. What I mean by that is, it's just, it's been a long time since, uh, you know, I, I can't remember the time I've seen a show that's like really good episodically where like where every hour is a self-contained story. Uh, let me, let me give you an example. Better Call Saul, probably the best show on television right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think necessarily works episodically, no. right? Uh, I think it's very, very highly serialized. This show, The Crown, you could dip in never having seen an episode. You wouldn't get a lot out of it. You wouldn't get the most out of it. You could. But fundamentally, it tells a complete story in all the episodes that I've seen so far. So uh, anyway, 
I and I actually think it's it's a it's a great show. So I'm I'm gonna say you should watch The Crown. And I haven't seen season one, two, or three. Yeah, you, you but should I saw just jump season... into the Crown season four, like Dave. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I greatly one enjoyed actually the pretty season. solid. Season one's pretty great. Um, but yeah, man, season three. I just well, recall like it's, it's, sitting some, through some of that. Yeah. A listener tweeted at me to watch season three, episode three, with no context. <laughs> I don't remember who it was. They said oh, okay. just watch season three, episode three, no yeah. context, just go watch it. Yep. And I did that. I think, and it's, I thought it's, it was. It's, is it the one yeah, with the school? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's and a good I thought episode. it was a it yeah. was a brilliant hour of television. Yeah. So yep. maybe that was the highlight, and the rest of the the, the season is garbage. But yep. basically, I watched season four. I thought it was great. I watched season three, episode three. Thought it was great, and that's like enough for me to say. Uh, I mean, I'm probably going to go back and watch the whole thing. So sure. uh, anyway, The Crown season four, great season of television. It's on Netflix. Uh, I'm going to skip Wilderness of Error for now. Because uh, I think we're running out of time here, and I'll just say, well, we'll maybe I'll save that for next week's episode of the podcast. And I'll say, I checked out Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun on yeah! Jeff's recommendation, and I would say I enjoyed it. I, it. It felt to me like a combination of like Tim and Eric, yeah, uh, and uh, Tim Robinson's. I think you should leave. I yeah, think I mean, it I think definitely. I, I, I referenced. At least one of those when I mentioned, I just think it's way better than Tim and Eric for my money, for me personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's an acquired <laughs> taste and it has a lot of what I would call shouty humor. And what I mean by that is virtually every skit or sketch, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, virtually uh-huh. every sketch, I know people don't like calling them skits, virtually every sketch dis- eventually descends into one or more of the characters screaming yeah. at each other. Lots of shouting Australians and, in this show. Yeah. Right. Which, um, which is not, unfunny but it just it's not necessarily like yeah. how, how many I, seasons I think, of it's always funny have you have you seen you know it's always sunny yeah, yeah. it's always and sunny the, yeah uh yeah i mean so if that's the kind of thing you're into which many people are i think you'll you'll greatly enjoy it and i i love the absurdism and there's many sketches that i watched them and i thought oh well, what a mm-hmm. clever depiction of that idea you know um so overall i would say i got more out of it than it took out of me um, but, uh, I wasn't quite as in love with it as you, Jeff, uh, but yeah, I still yeah. think it's worth checking out if you love kind of absurdist, shouty humor. Uh, <laughs> Demir, you watched an episode as well, right? It's very, it's very If you like, like things that are bad, then you will yeah. enjoy it. Uh, you know, listen, I, I, I really enjoyed it too. Uh, my wife was watching the first episode with me and she is, she was like immediately, no, immediately not down with any of this. So I feel like you'll come down in extremes. Uh, but Jeff, yeah, you did compare it to, I think you should leave. And to me... You know, I think you should leave is one of those special things. It is so short. It is so dense. But those ideas, talk about like streaming things that just got into the culture, you know, or at least a particular kind of comedy culture. I think back to specific moments and I think you should leave and it will make me laugh all the time. Like anytime, like there are some, there are just some things in that show that are pure works of genius. And at least based on what I've seen on Auntie Donna so far, it is, it's really funny. And there are, there are bits in the first episode too, that really made me chuckle, but it doesn't like get into my bones the way yeah. I think you should leave does. Um, but Hey, I'm going to keep checking this out because I do want more of this kind of thing in my life right now. So it, it's a good recommendation, Jeff. It, I would say for my money, I'm just the exact inverse. I mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. prefer this to I think you should leave. And I it got into my bones much more than that show did. Yeah. But, you know, they're different strokes for different folks. That's Auntie Donna's Big Ol' House of Fun. It's streaming on Netflix right now. All right, Devendra, hit us up with a couple things you've been watching. 
Yeah, real quick. Uh, I've been checking out Grand Army, which is a show you've probably seen pop up on your on your Netflix. Um, I was into this because I've seen a lot of discussion around it. And also it's a show set in like in central Brooklyn around Grand Army Plaza, which uh, which was close to where I used to live for the past 10 years. So I thought that was interesting. It's a it's a high school show uh, set in a semi elite, at least like a high level high school uh, in that area. I think it's vaguely based on Brooklyn Tech. Um, And it reminds me a lot of Orange is the New Black because it is a show that has several characters and kind of weaves in and out of their stories. And I think overall, I really, I dig the show. It's a really interesting look at high school life, Um, especially today. I really like the actors and the characters too, because they're just, the show is trying to give you, I guess a lot. And maybe I feel like it is doing a little too much because, uh, man, this show, some, I, I like the characters so much, but this show also swings in a certain way that, will certainly turn some people off like this. It's not a huge spoiler, but I think within the first five minutes of this show, which is about high schoolers in Brooklyn, just that's it. That's all it is. There's a terrorist bombing in this show. Also in a, in an area where nobody would bomb. Like there's, there's nothing there, guys. There is the Brooklyn central library. There's a very nice, you know, um, arch monument, but uh, no, people are rarely there unless they're there Sunday morning for like the farmer's market or something. So it's a uh, it's bits like that where it's like, man, this show is really trying to sell me high drama, high like uh, terrorism in New York fear immediately. And I don't know if that sort of thing is justified um, in 2020 because it's a show that's set today. And uh, that's I mean, OK, yeah, th- those things don't really happen. But I guess if. If it's if it's somebody wa- who's watching a show about New York and maybe who has never really been there, or it's just imagining New York is still like this uh, this place where everyone exists in like post nine eleven trauma. I guess that would kind of make sense, but that bit just didn't feel really that interesting to me. But I like these kids. I like that you know it's exploring um, different like different angles and different like looks of this high school experience uh, because they're kids of there are kids of like multiple races. Like it is trying to tell very different stories and try to give you like a multi-tiered perspective of this high school. Um, and I just, I, I like those kids, but I also, there, there is a sense of me that is like um, the, the alarm I feel when white writers start to tell stories about people of color where I'm like, one character is uh, is named Sid. He's like on the um, swim team. You know, he's like athletic, popular Indian guy. And he spends a lot of time, even in the first episode, um, wondering about uh, wondering about things like, um, do, will people think I'm a terrorist immediately? And it seems like he's also talking about honor and keeping his family, um, you know, really, really being recognized, um, really keeping his family's honor in check, which to me just feels... Not like a thing a normal high school kid would really be talking about. But hey, there's some bits that work for me. I've watched the first few episodes and I'm digging it. But I've seen the discourse around this too, where I feel like the show may may not hook me all the way through. But hey, I've liked it so far. It is no Euphoria. Euphoria is a show I've loved so much. It is a wild high school show and that's on HBO. So you could go check that out. All right. That's Grand Army and is on mm-hmm. Netflix right now. You yeah, yeah. Know what else have you been watching? Quick shout out to, I guess, similar to what you were watching, Jeff, uh, is Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, which is a behind the scenes series about The Mandalorian. So if you're loving season two of the show as much as I am, 
it is a fun thing to dive into, especially uh, there's an episode that goes into like the tech behind the Mandalorian. If you have not like seen like physically how John Favreau and everybody like how they produce this show, it is absolutely wild. So I think that is just worth a look because they basically made a soundstage that is all all LED screens. Like it's, like, it's like a it's basically like a green screen that's yeah. live, right? It's like, live. Like, like all, it's, all it, screens. Yeah. You can see the actual background on the mm-hmm. screen itself. Right. But also yeah. the background, but also like the the ceiling. Like it it is yeah. a box surrounded by screens, mainly to get you the the sense of like realistic lighting, you know, like of yeah. actual desert scapes bouncing off of the Mandalorian's armor and things like that. And I think it is it is a fascinating look to see how this sort of technology has evolved since like the the days of front projection and you know rear projection and how that used to be used to create backgrounds and stuff in movies and even driving scenes and things like that. So it's funny like the the technology we're still doing this, but it is evolved in such a way that makes things look so real. It is kind of astounding. And if you like The Mandalorian, you should at least check out that episode. But I think this whole series, it's a you know Favreau <laughs> sitting around the table with creative people. Um, he's done this several times, but I think this one is particularly interesting. Well, that's Disney gallery, the Mandalorian, and it is streaming right now on Disney plus guys. I share my, uh, Apple TV with, uh, my parents. Like uh-huh. I, I have an Apple TV account and I log into it and my parents also log into it and they share my stuff. And my, my dad texted me recently to say, hey, David, so I see you I rented... I saw this movie called Possessor. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he said, I see you've rented the second. That's that new Ryan Phillippe movie, right? Wow. That was like number one for a long time. And uh, <laughs> Wait, wait a we, minute. We... Renting the second, by the way. Okay, like, well, just, first like, of all, it, co- it cost a dollar. And I, I thought to myself, hey, I want to see what America is watching these days. Yeah. I'm willing to pay a dollar. So then my dad texts me. He's like, hey, I see the second uh, on, on your rental. Can I watch the second? And I said, well... Because once you watch it, you only have 48 hours to complete it. Mm-hmm, so, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, if he watches it, then I'm, I'm probably not going to get a chance to watch the second, which I'm like, you know what? I'm willing to Wait, give that up you, for my dad. You rented it in and advance of having a plan like to watch it? it? banked it. Yeah. yeah, I banked it because you get 30 yeah. days to watch it, Jeffrey. You know? So I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> like, at some point, I'm you probably going to be able to very different people, David. <laughs> yeah, <we are. laughs> it's so true. It's yeah. so true. So anyway, uh, my dad said, okay, great. I'll watch the second, um, you know, and I said, great, go, you know, go with God, watch the second. Literally while we were recording this episode, he texts me back. He says, I finished the second yesterday, didn't like it. Still, thank you for the rental. <laughs> so just wanted you all to know. Um, my dad didn't like the second and um, good, a good dad review though he's That's pretty good yeah dad good dad review and he's pretty easy to please so take that for for what you will when it comes to the second okay that <laughs> so now, now the clock's ticking for on you to watch the second now dave oh TikTok, yeah TikTok. i mean i mean i got like 12 hours left jeff so <laughs> um anyway that is what we have been watching this week hey i want to tell you about our newest sponsor theragun Oh my gosh, this thing is extraordinary. If you're like me and my wife who experience a ton of stress in 2020 to the point where we are physically in pain, (laughs) our bodies are revolting against us and all the strain that's weighing on us, you're going to want to know about Theragun. This is not just for elite athletes, although elite athletes use it, but I use Theragun as well. It's a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, 
speed, and power. And now it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. You are not going to believe this thing. It's it, it it's like something from the future, like from a science fiction film, although it's real and it's possible and it makes me feel good. <laughs> they have released an all-new Gen 4 Theragun that has a proprietary brushless motor that's so quiet, you'll even wonder if it's on, while soothing your aching muscles with Theragun's signature power, amplitude, and effectiveness. And that's not just marketing speak. This thing is powerful. It's incredible. I've never seen anything like it. it like I said, it's like science fiction. This this thing, it, it, it pulses, and you put it on your body. It may shake your entire torso. <laughs> it's so powerful. But my wife and I take turns giving each other wonderful back massages. You can use it on your feet, on your on your legs. It is it, transformatory. It's extraordinary. And you can try Theragun for 30 days. There's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need. Starting at only $199, you can go to theragun.com slash filmcast right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash filmcast, theragun, T-H-E-R-A-G-U-N dot com slash filmcast. Let's get to weekly plugs. Weekly Plugs is a part of the show each week where we, re- we recommend something that we have been in or that someone else has been in that we really like or just a piece of work that we appreciate. This week, we have a collective weekly plug. And that is the Great American Pop Culture Quiz Show, which is a great podcast uh, that is run by some very talented people who are really good at writing uh, quiz questions and executing a quiz show. I did not realize the country has an official pop culture quiz show, but ma- wow, so, we were on yeah, it. But, it's amazing. But we were on yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so they've recently been doing like a, a series of competitions uh, with pod, like podcasts, right? Where they they pit podcasts, uh, the podcast hosts against each other, right? And we are extremely just to see us fight, just to see us fight. Yeah, I mean, we are extremely honored to be part of this group of podcasts that include uh, people like the Slate Podcast, the Defector Podca- Podcast, Pop Culture Happy Hour, uh, and the Slash Homecast is one of them. And we recently recorded our uh, episode, uh, and it is about, fittingly enough, uh, special editions of DVDs, along with other questions, right? And a lot of people were sad there was no summer movie wager this year. This is probably the closest thing you're going to get to that, which is <laughs> which is to say an episode of a podcast in which we compete against each other about who knows the most about completely inconsequential pop culture ephemera. It is an and absolute bloodbath. Yeah, I, I think the winner will shock you. Mm. It will shock you <laughs> who the winner the, of this episode was. The 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 thing it has most in common with the summer movie wager is that it is an absolute revelation as to how little we know about anything <laughs> you know the summer movie wager proves every year that we are not smart and i think that this also reinforces that same premise indeed indeed so check it out it's the great american pop culture quiz show 
uh, it was a lot of fun. We've already gotten some great reviews from people who listened to it. Uh, they really Very enjoyed fun. it. So check it yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, amazing that they put that together with such care and professionalism and uh, the three of us goofballs getting in there and, and somehow not, in, not letting us break anything. It was amazing. It was amazing, yeah. Uh, okay, I have a quick uh, weekly plug, and that is writer Miles McNutt, the culture critic. He has written the official Game of Thrones companion book. And he recently stopped by my podcast, Culturally Relevant, uh, to talk about uh, writing that book. And what was really interesting is that he was originally supposed to release that book before the last season of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And then the publishing was delayed. And so they just said, you know what? F it. Like, let's just put it out after the season is over. And he had to change a lot of things about the book because I don't know if you guys remember, but pre final season of game of Thrones, like the the pop culture was like the popular imagination was a much different place than it was afterwards. So uh, we had a great time talking about how he wrote that book and what happened when the final season occurred Um, widely regarded as one of the worst endings of a TV show ever, I think. Uh, and so, uh, it was a great, great conversation. Did he, uh, did he say that he wished he'd put the book out just a little earlier? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is that he had, when he, when he wrote the book intending it to be released before the final season, there was a bunch of stuff that he wrote that like was kind of didn't apply by the final season. I'm not going to give anything away, but there's characters. It's like, well, the the show is clearly setting this character up to be a massive hero. And Mm. then the final season happens and it's not the case, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's a fascinating conversation. Check it out. It's unculturally relevant. That's my weekly plug. Devendra, how about you? Uh, yeah, over in Gadget, uh, I chatted with uh, Nicholas Doucet, the creative director of Team Asobi in Japan. That is uh, one of Sony's developers who created Astro's Playroom on the PlayStation 5. That's the game that's pre-installed in every system. I think it's a really, really phenomenal game, and it really shows off yeah. that DualSense controller in fun ways. So we had a really good conversation about basically how they came up with that, um, you know, the, the prototyping they did and just like, it's just pure like gameplay experimentation. So uh, the print uh, interview is up now and actually by Tuesday, by the time you're hearing this, you'll, you'll be able to listen to the audio interview too on the Engadget podcast. So you can check it out in both places. Very awesome. cool. When I, team, team Asobi is just knocking it out of the park so right now. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, uh, Astrobot uh, Rescue Mission was absolutely phenomenal. And they followed mm-hmm. up with an equally inventive, wonderful. I mean, this is Nintendo quality platformer. It's great. Sure. It's it's super yeah. like it's super smart. But also, I think they basically made the first PlayStation mascot that genuinely works. Right. Yeah. Like I think Astro is the PlayStation mascot now more than like Crash Bandicoot ever was. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, good on them. Uh, all right, check out that interview. I just Googled Team Asobi Astro's Playroom, and you're mm-hmm. the first result that pops up, Devin. All right. So congratulations That's on great. that. Uh, Jeff, your weekly plug. Well, I have a lot of things that I could mention, uh, but several of them are taking the, a break for Thanksgiving, and so I thought I'd take this opportunity to mention again my Cameo page. I haven't talked about it in a few weeks, and um, at the behest of listeners to this show, who enjoy my limericks, uh, I now uh, have an opportunity for you to get your own handmade, personally crafted, bespoke limerick uh, made by yours truly, delivered by yours truly over video uh, for any occasion. Uh, If we have some sort of, I don't know, 
big holiday coming up where a lot of people uh, want presents, what better gift than a personal message from me in the form of a limerick? I'm happy to do it. Uh, they are handcrafted. And uh, you can find them over at uh, cameo.com slash Jeff Canada. I've done almost 60 of them now and wow. uh, lots of wonderful reviews and people really pleased with I'm having a blast doing it. So it's it's lots of fun and I hope to do lots more. So uh, check it out. Cameo.com slash Jeff Canada. All right. That's it for weekly plugs. Let's get to our review of The Nest. Things are dried up here for me. There's an opportunity. Where? London. This will be our fourth move in ten Turn years. Backwards. But money's fine, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is a fresh start. How about this? You shouldn't be working for someone else. Be your own boss. Build your own place. Own your own horses. Something doesn't feel right. It's not your job to worry. You leave that to your husband. It scares me that you actually think that. That was from the trailer for The Nest, the newest film by writer-director Sean Durkin. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Life for an entrepreneur and his American family begins to take a twisted turn after moving into an English country manor. Now, Devinger Hardwar, you were like pretty in- invested in, in watching this this week. Sure. You know, it's, Sean it, Durkin, we, uh, come on! We have a lot of uh, yeah. We have a lot of debates about like what is going to be the main review. It's like uh, often, uh, uh, not not often, occasionally contentious, but it's it's usually quite spirited. And but but Devendra rarely is like we have to do this one, right? And and but this was one of the times when you're like we have to do this. Now, Sean Durkin uh, burst onto the scene in 2011 with Martha Marcy May Marlene, a brilliant film, mm-hmm. and also one of um. Like Elizabeth Olsen's first film, that was like kind of the movie that revealed that she was a true talent with staying power. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, any reason other than that why you were super super psyched for this Sean? Durkin I mean, may- basically that. Like, and also we have not seen a movie from this guy since Martha Marcy May Marlene. Like he did. Um, There's like a TV miniseries he worked on. Uh, Southcliff. South yeah, which I I've not heard anything about, so I don't know. Maybe it's good. But I have really been waiting to see him just come on with with a sophomore feature because Martha Marcy, I remember exactly where I saw that in New York, um, I believe. Yeah, it was in a theater that is now torn down, the landmark sunshine. But I remember sitting with the crowd with it. I remember a review of it. Like that movie was just phenomenal. And like it is something that sat sat with me since then. So, yeah, I, I want to see whatever else this guy has cooking, for sure. Jeff, have you seen Martha Marcy Marley? I have not. I'm anxious to. Ooh. I have not seen it. It's, yeah. a, great, it's a great film. It's really, Disturbing really Disturbing as haunting. hell. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, All right. So, all that said, it's been nine years since that movie came out. Uh, what did you think of The Nest as a follow-up to it? Yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. It's probably, I don't think it's as groundbreaking a movie as The Nest was, or as Martha Marcy was, just because it feels like we've seen the story many, many times, you know, of, uh, of a marital relationship that kind of falls apart and uh, the, their move and everything is all like a metaphor for the state of their relationship. But I think as a, as a film and as a drama, this thing is, is a terrifying exploration of a marriage that's basically held together by duct tape and lies. You know, like it is, it is these performances by Jude Law and Carrie Coon. Tape and lies. It's, it's just like, it is, 
you could see from the very beginning that things aren't quite right. But Jude Law is playing a guy who on the surface is like, yeah, he's a he's a great dad. Like he he plays with the kids. He, he brings his wife coffee in the morning when she wakes up late. Like he is he's a young go getter. Everybody wants to work with him. Um, he, he seems to be having some uh, a rough spot business wise. But hey, hey, we're going to move to a whole new country and, uh, you know, uproot your lives. And um, it'll be very exciting to be a fun adventure. I think this movie does a great job of just exemplifying so much of what uh, both Jude Law and Carrie Coon do so well. Like this is this is a movie that banks entirely on the Jude Law charm. He is we're not going to spoil too much here, but you know this this movie is basically him as Ripley from the talented Mr. Ripley in many ways. Like it kind mm. of flips that notion a bit. And I think he does such a great job of just trying to sell his lies and his like his his like delusion of reality at times. And Carrie Coon is this very strong, very like intelligent foil to him who seems like, I think at the beginning of the movie, we don't know how much she was onto him, but we'll talk some about, about some of this stuff in spoilers. I think there are certainly clues where like, she also fully doesn't trust this guy um, in certain respects, but seeing her kind of come back at him, especially like towards you know by the middle and end of this movie like it is is a phenomenal game of cat and mouse between them so yeah i love this completely i'm not sure if like it is a movie set in the 80s that's really trying to be an 80s film and i think some you know period touch pieces work really well uh just the setting overall and the music is great but i don't know if it's saying anything more about the idea of like the you know the go-go 80s and the Wall Street era focus on like, you know, getting as rich as you can as much as possible. Money is the only thing that matters. I'm not sure if it really explores that very well, but seeing these two characters kind of try to, you know, live that lie or live that life, I think is incredibly fascinating. And man, I I could have watched this movie for hours. I, I could I would have loved to see more, just more of the tit and tat between Jude Law and Carrie Coon. And this show, uh, this movie reminds me of why just why i loved carrie coon so much in the leftovers like there, there's so much of her like power that we see from that show in this film so yeah i cannot wait for everybody to see it but what did you guys think jeff canada hit us well in order to hit you dave <laughs> i'm gonna have to use a limerick wow you're gonna have to use a limerick interesting my because you're forcing me yeah to do that okay i don't i mean I don't want to. Yeah. It's, it's all Dave's charm. It's really making this happen. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's the limerick. A view of a husband and wife living through marital strife. The film is terrific because it's specific with universal problems of life. Mm. Nice. That's nice. Simple yet elegant. Thank you. Very Thank much you. like uh, Carrie Coon's character in the movie. Dude, mm. I am actively in love with Carrie Coons. Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Uh, way, I, I will not, just say I got her name wrong. It is Carrie, it is Coon, Carrie Coon, not Carrie, Coon. Carrie Coons. My bad. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. No, her name. Uh, yeah. I uh, I knew that, and I let you <laughs> I let you embarrass yeah. me in front yeah. of her, Dave. <laughs> She's listening to this right now. Yeah. Yeah. Live. I'll never live, live that down. She, and there horrifying. goes my shot. Yeah. Uh, it, it bums me out how often she's smoking in things because it makes me think she's a real life smoker, which bums me out so much because I love her. Yeah. Anyway, but she, she's also the sort of actor is like, man, this smoke movies made smoking look so cool when everybody's doing it. She she is really good at that. The smoke. I thing. know, but stop. Yeah. Uh, stop yeah, smoking. Yeah, Carrie, yeah, yeah, you're stop amazing. Smoking. Stop anyway, smoking. I love. I like actively love her, and my, even though my my wife's not in earshot, but I. Anyway. Um, <laughs> 
I have to fight Tracy Letts uh, to to make this dream happen, Jeff. So I hope you're prepared for that fist fight. I mean, yeah, yeah, you could take. I have to. You could take him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I echo almost everything that Devinder said. I think this movie is amazing. Um, It feels like a movie about how hard it is to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like how hard it is to be. It's hard to be. And th- it, I knew nothing about this movie going into it uh, as per usual, but I also didn't really know what this movie was about 40 minutes into the movie. Like, yeah, I didn't know what same. it was about. Yeah. And it like and I was totally fine with that. Like, I just wanted to hang out with these people. These like you like you said, Devendra, I could have spent hours watching this movie you just are insinuated into the daily lives of this family. And for, you know, the movie's about an hour and 40 minutes, almost half of it, nothing really happens. It's just you're hanging out with these people and you're invested in the progress of their life. And for in some magical way, the movie makes that fascinating, compelling, and completely watchable. I just wanted to be around these people and and learn more about them and and be part of their lives. It's fascinating. And then you know things do start happening. You sort of understand where it's going, but even then it's it's a subtle shift. It's not a big, you know, act turn where there's some big revelation. It's just mm-hmm. things to, sort of start to unravel and decay. And then you know, it, you just are on this journey with these people and and there's no I don't think there's really any antagonist other than the difficulty of life, right? Life is hard. People, you know, it's just, it's hard to be. And, and even also these people, ex- it's expectations, right? The, the villain is yeah. the expectations of capitalism and modern life. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, these, and uh, these characters are clearly damaged and they're trying not to damage their kids and, you know, failing on some respects in, in that regard. And it's just, it's and and we'll talk about the ending later, but I was moved by it, and it just it is um it's a really unique, beautiful film. It 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 reminded me of something like um um the ice storm, yeah. you know. Um, Which, by the way, the uh, the next picture show, uh, great podcast, uh, just paired these two movies together. Oh, so, did they really? Yeah, I did yeah. not know that. Wow, I think that's a great pairing. I I it very much reminded me of that movie where it's just sort of this like slice of life where you, you you just see how people were in a different time and you it it makes you feel like oh there's a universality to how hard it all is you know and yeah. the performances are wonderful everything is nuanced and there's there's really strange unique things this is kind of what i was trying to talk about in my limerick is there's like really specific things that would never happen in 99.9% of people's lives. Yeah, that poor horse, that poor... Right. There's a lot of horse drama in this movie. There's a lot of horse drama. But for some reason, even that specificity makes the story more universal, right? We we understand it's a window into a kind of feeling that we can all relate to and creates a memorable image and touchstone for us as viewers to even deepen our relationship with the movie, even though it, it it's a specific act or specific moment that we would never experience ourselves. Just a, a gorgeous piece of cinema and a, a movie that I think 
should be on more people's radars because I think mm-hmm. it's really interesting. I host a podcast called The Tobolowski Files with Stephen Tobolowski, and he tells stories in this podcast. Um, and one of the stories he tells is called What is Hidden? And I'll read a little bit from the story. I can't do it his justice, but he says here, the attempt to define what something's essence is has often been debated for centuries. Some people claim it is a religious concept. Others say it is a central part of political theory. Regardless, the essence of a thing appears to be made up of two components, what is seen and what is hidden. And he goes on to say, mystery may fascinate, but what compels us to know what is hidden? Uh, what is hidden is the seed of every lie, the hope of every prayer, and why they never show all the monster until the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it, the story is about the distinction between what is seen and what is hidden, and how often what is hidden is the essence of that thing. And that's what I was reminded of as I watched The Nest, is for much of the film, for like the first 45 minutes, you were watching what is seen, right? You were watching like externally this guy and this his wife and they have a loving relationship and a great family and everything seems to be on the up and up and as the movie goes on you learn what is hidden and the parts of themselves and their relationship and their family that they don't show the world and this tension that exists that kind of threatens to bring them to the brink uh and that is what the movie is about for me right it's it's this mm-hmm. tension and uh how these characters navigate it I really enjoyed the movie as well. I I, uh, I spent the first hour not knowing what it was about. I, I thought to myself, "Is this like his house for white people?" You know, the Netflix uh, <laughs> the Netflix horror film that we reviewed a yeah. few weeks ago. Yeah, uh, and it does have those components too. It does have some components of that to it. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I think Sean Durkin's style is also very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. You may notice that many of Sean Durkin's shots are like, the camera is stationary. Yeah. It's kind Perfectly of like this frame medium, tableaus. Yeah. yeah, this medium wide shot mm-hmm. uh, that's stationary and or like pans from left to right, but like very very subtle camera movements. He's very into let's put these characters in a scene, let's just let it play out for you know minutes yeah. sometimes. Mm-hmm. I love and it. Let the actors act. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Let the actors act, and there, and um, and the lack of cuts uh, can create tension too, because right the mm-hmm. the, the mind longs for a cut you're like I, I want this to cut you might not internalize it in those words but you think to yourself like i want this to cut because the, the cuts break tension right and uh in in a situation like this cuts can also create tension in other situations and uh i, th- I think that he was able to use his style uh very effectively in this movie mm-hmm. so uh some thoughts on the nest but there's more to talk about in spoilers uh but i'll I, i'll just say it sounds like we all love the movie I enjoyed it as well, um, and it's great. So check it out. Uh, the Nest, you can stream it. You can buy it uh, on digital video platforms. Let's get to spoilers starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be... Uh, I'll just say that, man, the ending of this movie really broke yeah. me, guys. There's it this yeah. incredible shot of Jude Law walking back into the house, right? Uh, into the, li- the the dining room. Yeah. And he just says, you know what, guys? 
I gotta, I gotta move close. Let's move into the city, you know. Yeah, uh, I can be closer to the office, and uh, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. And his daughter is just like, you know, you can, you can stop the bullshit now, and gives him this hug, and and he kind of sits down at the table, and he's he's completely they give, they give exposed. Him a plate of toast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> the, the holding of the hand from his yeah. wife to me was the one, the thing that broke me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just, just I, I, that that scene, then Jude Law's performance in that scene is just like he's lost everything. He's lost everything. And even still, he's trying to put on a good face. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It, it may or may not remind you of someone else in our society who has <laughs> lost colossally and yet mm-hmm. still, despite all odds, continues to try to claim victory. Uh, but well, I think I, it's <laughs> there's something fundamental to the American ideal of like, no matter how bad it's going, we always put on a happy face. Yeah. And even though he's not American in this movie, uh, it is really a, a heartbreaking depiction of that idea. Uh, I, Jeff, go ahead. Well, at the risk of getting overly personal, and, and you can edit this out if it's too much, but um, I, watched, to. <laughs> I watched... I uh, watched this movie by myself because my wife went to the hospital to visit her sister, her youngest sister, whose eight month old baby is um, having his third open heart surgery or had just had. And uh, she was delivering some care packages to them. She wasn't able to see them uh, because of COVID. She just drove to the hospital uh, and someone came down to her car and picked up the care packages and brought them up. And this beautiful little eight year, eight month old boy, uh, who is the most innocent, sweet little thing, uh, is going through utter hell right now, uh, for no good reason. He, Mm -hmm. he has a literally a heart defect that no one has ever seen before. He's the first case of it. So forgive me for getting indulging in that detail, but um, literally the end of this scene happened. The, the, the Jude Law walks back in the room, says the thing. As the door to my house opens and my wife gets back from doing this and I pause it, I pause the movie as the first credits, like literally the first credit comes on, on the screen and my wife comes in and starts relaying to me the experience she just had at the hospital and what little she was able to learn about the situation. And I completely broke down, just lost it. And I just felt like this, the, it was the same moment. It was the, it was my wife coming in and trying to put on a good face And of course, these are characters that are very flawed in the film and um, do some kind of terrible things, I would say, uh, many of them. (laughs) Uh, Things that I wouldn't agree with or, or, you know, behave in ways that I find a little distasteful. But I feel like in that moment, I was struck by how fucking hard life is, you know? And all we can do, like that moment where his wife just like, holds his hand and his kids just kind of say, let's just be a family still, you know, really moved me. 
Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of thing you don't really see in movies, right? This kind of movie is usually about the husband having an affair. Right. You it'd, know? it'd be like What Lies Beneath or something, right? Where he just yeah. turns into the Terminator at the end or some stupid Yeah, thing. it's yeah. it's all about, you know, it, it, it gets to this grandiose place of, of the, the most extremes. And those extremes are real too. And there's ways to, there's movies that handle those extremes in grounded, interesting, uh, good ways. But I, I just so appreciated just the like, mm-hmm. the subtlety and simplicity of that moment and that that feeling of like, man, it's really fucking hard. It's really fucking hard to just be. And this dude is trying clearly screwed up from his own mom, you know, who we see that relationship's fucked, you know? <laughs> uh, and this this compulsion to prove via wealth, you know, that he's somebody. Uh, and the wife, in, in her own ways, messed up and unable to express her needs and the things that she's not fi- finding. And, like... In the midst of all of that and the kids royally screwing up. Poor and the, kids, the poor kids. Yeah, yeah. But, but also making bad decisions, right, from lack of sure, sure. care and all those things. And in the end, they just all go, they just all fucking sit there in it, in, in acceptance almost. Or, or it's not just, it's not defeat, it's just acquiescence to how hard it all is. You know, and yeah. I just I I don't know. It it was this it, it, weird confluence of of real life and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. fiction that made me appreciate how powerful drama can be in our lives to sort of galvanize those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Like for me, the, the ending is all about that. There's an understanding of like the connection you have as a family, right? In a, in a certain way, like no matter how much you screw up, you can at least try try to understand each other, try to try to be a family try to be connected um i love throughout this movie the children are just always um looking out for each other like even though they tease each other in certain ways like i think even from the very one of the first few scenes it's just like it's sam and ben just like you know poking fun and having like their own little like in games with each other and it's all like it felt so real and lived in in a way that from from the get-go right we didn't even have to get used to this family it's like i get it I get yeah. it. Jude Law is the golden boy. Everybody loves him. He's the perfect dad. He brings his wife coffee in the morning. Like, and Carrie Coon is just like, if she is, she has no nonsense. She is taking care of these horses. You know, she is doing business. She's making money in her own way. We know these characters so well. But yeah, the ending, what really got me to is um his conversation with the cab driver, which I, I think mm. teeters into Ama- being amazing too, scene. Just amazing, amazing scene. scene. Yeah. It teeters right on the edge of being too much of just like bluntly stating, you know, the theme of what the movie is trying to be. But also like when Jude Law is like, I had a million dollars once. And it's just like, man, just thinking about like him and like that, that was his dream. And his dream is like, he, he was basically destroyed by his own need to keep bullshitting and trying to get yeah. more. And he doesn't know how to be happy. And the, the cab driver just like lays it out. It's just like, dude, just, you, you know, the family is your most important thing. You have that. You have not lost everything. And actually, by the end of the movie, he has not lost everything, right? His wife yeah. left him to to kind of stew in his own assholery, but she didn't divorce him. He didn't lose his job. He's just out of the account. Um, you know, they haven't fired him. He like they they can keep going. They can fix this. And to me, that is, that is the most impactful thing of the ending. It's like 
she's not just saying, hey, fuck you, guy. You know, I, I'm yeah. done with your thing. Um, because I think for the past 10 years, at least most of the evidence we have is that he's um, he's he's provided. You know, they may have had to move a lot, but he seems like he's managed to actually get get certain things done, even though by this point, by the time they've moved to London, it's all kind of starting to fall apart where he doesn't have enough money to pay for the, the you know, the horse barn and everything. So or the stable. So like it's all understandable in a way. And you can see why this guy is just you get him of somebody aiming to be too much, somebody who has all maybe has been thought of as a golden child or has worked so hard to be that, to, you know, escape his past, uh, how he doesn't quite know how to settle and how to be happy. It's also real relatable in a way I didn't expect. I didn't, ex- I thought yeah. it was, this was just going to be like the undoing on HBO, right. Of rich people being assholes. And no, right. this is like, these are people who make bad decisions sometimes, but it's all like grounded in a certain reality. But, and man, everything like, I, I, I know Carrie Coon may have some like her own character flaws in this movie, but I think everything she does is at least understandable because she is so dependent on this guy and her major issue is basically tying her life to this guy and assuming he always has her best interests or is always telling the truth when you can't always do that. But the moment we see her like secret, you know, money covered, you're like, Oh, she knows she knows yes. she has to have her own thing. because yes. You can't fully trust this guy. Yeah. Yes, this isn't this isn't a surprise to her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple questions. What do you guys make of the relationship between him and his mom? Like, it it wasn't clear to me who was the more wor- like the worst person in that situation. <laughs> you know, <laughs> was it like the mom treated him badly, or was it that he kind of grew up fairly poor and really wanted to transcend his circumstances and kind of left her behind? I think it was uh, both. Yeah, it, it it felt like it could be both because she was kind of pretty cold. Right yeah. to him. Oh, yeah. definitely. But, but cold, and cold in a way that wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't just r- resentful of something he did. It just felt like yeah. she was always cold to him. You know, it's, it's very possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, the, then, and the relationship with Carrie Coon and her mom also kind of fucked, right? Yeah, her mom who's yeah. like, just have fun, be a fun person. Isn't it fun to be fun? And it's like that's mm, you know messes yeah. you up in in a, in a different way. Just let your <laughs> let your husband handle it all yeah. that's his job well, it like, was hmm. a, guys it was the 80s it was a different time back then you know uh <laughs> yeah. i kid i kid but uh speaking of the 80s by the way i kept i spent the whole movie trying to figure out why is this movie set in the 80s and yeah. i realized like the entire the ending sequence probably wouldn't work unless it was set right in the 80s. right because um, you need to there, get cell phone. <laughs> yeah, because they have cell phones. And stuff That's like the that. whole point. I, I don't yeah. Please, I don't, I think Uber, more Uber, than solve this problem in five minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's a there's another scene, you know, along the lines of what you were bringing up, Devendra, that really moved me because it's not the kind of scene you you really find in movies, but feels really true. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the scene where um, the daughter is all pissed off at the mom uh, for, you know, forgetting her or whatever. And she's upstairs. And again, one of those very still static wide shots, uh, the mom and the son coming in and she's like doing her teenage daughter pissed off at mom routine. And then the the son says, Hey, give mom a break. Her horse died today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the daughter just like changes on a dime and becomes so concerned. And it's like, it says so much about that relationship and and who those people are. Like she recognizes in that moment, oh, I got to cut the crap of this 
you know, this, this sad sack routine that I'm doing this raking my mom over the coals. And it's, it's a beautiful moment of genuine love in a family. Like that's, that's what people do. They're like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. It's about me. Oh shit. Oh, I didn't realize it's about you. You know, it's, it was such a great moment that you don't find in movies ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking of the horse, uh, what did you guys make of what was going on there? Like the, uh, the horse I mean, was still well, alive? All, I have to say, um, this movie finally uh, taught me what happens, what you do with a dead horse, right? Just like <laughs> make a, I want to know make a big how hole. the hell they shot that. Is that yeah. just a real dead horse? Yeah. That well, is like oh, so. Man. So there's my rules about that right? shit, right? Yeah. My interpretation was the son saw the horse breathing. Right? Did you guys perceive no, that? No, I thought. I thought. I don't know if I got that. No, I, like, I, no, I, but, I, I literally rewound it and watched uh-huh. it frame by frame, and the uh, horse is clearly breathing in the ground. Oh, I didn't see that. Okay. And so that's why Jesus, he's like, I got to no, show you. No, I didn't this. get that either. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, I got to show you this thing, and that's why he takes her out to the horse because he thinks Holy the horse shit, is still I didn't alive. It's very very subtle. Like, because basically we watched it. We were watching yeah. it on the TV, and we're like, did we actually see that? And we rewound mm. it, and the, there is a focus pull, but the scene takes place at night, so it's hard to see. But that that was my sense of it. Wow, I did not uh, get that at all. I thought it was yeah. something about the fact that the horse wasn't completely buried. Yeah, like yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he's being unearthed, and it's like, hey, uh, No, but there's a reason should, uh, why she's this. like, she's trying to unbury him, right? Uh, she's trying to unearth him. She thinks time. he's still alive? She thinks okay. he's still alive, Jesus but he's Christ. Dead, yeah. 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 Boy, um, that changes a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, I don't know, maybe... Maybe I saw it wrong, but there's you know there's that scene where he goes out there and then the the camera focuses on the horse and you see the horse's body moving up and down and that's why he goes in he like wants to tell the daughter but like he can't find her because uh, the scene is so messed up like the the party Wait, is so so, so in the, so the so Carrie Coons thinks she's she thinks the horse is alive too she sees that. Yeah, I mean, I think he, he says, like, I, I need to tell you something. And then the next scene is we see them, like, walking out there. And presumably mm-hmm. he's, like, told her what he saw mm-hmm. in the, on the walk there. Her reaction, the, her reaction is so extreme that I would guess it it yeah. felt to me yeah. like it needed to be something that she perceived herself. Yeah. Like, well, um, the horse must have, like, unearthed itself a little. I think that's part, right. of, part of what, maybe, what happened maybe, there. But yeah. it was, uh, either way, it was very subtle, very subtle moment. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, that, even, that even unclear it was very powerful <laughs> yeah no for sure it was a great and we should say that all the all the performances of the movie are great but i would say like carrie coon and jude law really like steal the show in this film. also also that um, horse though like is there a horse yeah, i don't know how they how yeah i don't know how they did that? that stuff i don't know how they did that stuff so pretty incredible stuff yeah Jeff? i mean the, the forklift thing of the, yeah. of the just like oof. Oof. to close though jeff uh, I'm reminded of Carl Sagan's words in the movie Contact. Uh, quote, you're an interesting species, an interesting mix. You're capable of such beautiful dreams and such horrible nightmares. You feel so lost, so cut off, so alone, only you're not. See, in all our searching, the only thing we've found that makes the emptiness bearable is each other, end quote. Mm. I thought of that when you were uh, talking about how this movie made you feel. So, Yeah, thanks, yeah. It's a great film. Beautiful uh, words. And, uh, and that's kind of how I felt about the ending, is like the only way these people are going to face life is uh, is with each other. You don't get to choose your family. Mm-hmm. And, well, uh, I mean, yeah, to, to a certain degree, right? You you can't control like who you're married to. If this is not working, right. you could be like, you know, just go, just fuck off. But I think everything leading up to the ending too, like we haven't even mentioned, like that amazing dinner scene 
where she, you know, where Carrie Coon's got my, my soul left my body oh, man. during that oh, scene. Oh, man. It's like, oh, we are. This is more than like Curb Your Enthusiasm sketch, you know, like this, <laughs> this is like she's going for the throat in this and her the dancing sequence afterwards where she like Dude. she downs two vodka tonics and she just goes and like has her dance and has her moment to be like on her own. I thought was phenomenal. Yeah. And, and I, intercutting yeah. it with uh, mm-hmm. the daughter doing the same thing as well. I thought it was very yeah. effective. So, yeah. I mm-hmm. thought for sure she was going to hit him on the I way I was home. so worried about, yeah, something like that or just her having yeah. a bad, bad ending with that drive. Yeah. But that's, that, that's kind of what I love most about this movie is mm-hmm. lesser movies would have, resorted to something right. like that. like mm-hmm. would have decided it needed a big moment like that and this movie really isn't about those big moments it's about small moments and i i, I think it's greater for that actually mm-hmm. i'm really glad you liked it jeff i, yeah. I, I, I knew it, yeah. i knew davindra and i would be into this shit but you know uh i didn't know if you, i don't know if you would find it too depressing honestly but uh i'm, I'm glad you really appreciate it so mm-hmm. anyway that's our review of the nest uh and that is going to wrap us up for today. This episode of the podcast was edited by Beatty Zhang. The theme song was produced by AdamWarrock.com. And our spoiler bumper uh, was done by YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. Check out his YouTube channel. Uh, our weekly plugs music uh, was done by Noah Ross, or at least based off of Noah Ross's work. Next week, we are going to be reviewing... Uh, the movie Run, which I believe is streaming on uh, Hulu. Sure. Uh, I, I must emphasize, not the HBO original series Run. Uh, <laughs> I am talking about the Hulu which we have sh- talked about. We did talk the about Hulu Run. movie Run, directed by Anish Chaganti, who uh, also directed Searching, mm-hmm. uh, a fairly interesting movie starring John Cho that was told completely on computer screens. Uh, I'm interested to see what he's going to do with Run. Yeah. And for the After Dark next week, uh, we are going to be discussing New Mutants. So uh, that's what's the story. That review has been five years in the way, in the making. <laughs> like I, I don't, Indeed. I forget how long it's been reviewed or delayed at this point. Yeah, yeah. So that's it for uh, this week's episode of the, of the Slash Filmcast. We hope you have a safe Thanksgiving holiday uh, and stay healthy, stay safe out there. Be careful, and we'll see you soon. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks for the good, slash bad, it's the Slash Film Cast. For all the news and the movies coming out, cause you know that it's the thing worth talking about. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 